I laughed until I was crying. And then later, I was just crying. A good story takes us on a journey. It reminds us of where we've been and shows us where we could go. A good story makes us feel and inspires us to act. Welcome to the Good Story Podcast, where everyday stories that make you laugh, cry, or feel slightly uncomfortable will leave you inspired as Kirsten King tells true stories and teaches truth. When Paul closed out his letter to the church at Corinth, the first letter that he wrote to them, he began his sign-off with a number of quick exhortations, like pithy little sayings that I am certain he never imagined would become the stuff of greeting cards and pillows and plaques and tattoos and Pinterest boards. But I can see why they did, because they were, they were great sayings. They were powerful let me read them to you from 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 13 to 14. It says this, Be on your guard. Stand firm in the faith. Be courageous. Be strong. Do everything in love. First, he said, Be on our, your guard. Be on your guard. Watch out. Be being on your guard. Always be ready. Be aware. Of like what? Persecution? Coronavirus? False teaching? Like outsiders who are set on destroying the church? Actually, in this first letter, the second letter, Paul does address false teaching. But in this first letter, Paul is actually concerned for the church because of the church. There was division among them. Some people had reported back to Paul that they were fighting. They were having quarrels. And Paul heard this and was concerned, and so he wrote back. He said, so I've heard some of you are saying this. Well, <clears throat> I follow Apollos. I follow Paul. Still others, well, I follow Cephas. And then another says, I follow Christ. Paul was warning against this. He's like, stop saying this. Did I die for you? No. Did I baptize you? No. Christ did that. Christ is the unifier. Apollos preaches Christ. Cephas preaches Christ. I preach Christ. Follow Christ. Focus on him. Listen to the voice of the good shepherd. The message you've received is powerful. The gospel is powerful. This gospel, this good news, is able to unite when division could choose to win. When division seems to win, the gospel can unite. He also warned them in, in chapter six. I can't go into all these verses of things that he's warning them about, but in chapter six, he's like, guys, stop suing each other. Stop taking each other to court. Man, he wants them to be united. So be on your guard. Be on your guard for what's going on even in and amongst you. Second, then, Paul said to stand firm in the faith. Plant your feet there. Stand firm. Be immovable. In what? In your faith. In the, what you've said, what you've proclaimed. Keep on trusting. Don't stop believing. Don't. <laughs> oh my goodness. Isn't that a song? Don't stop believing. Yeah, it's like, 
journey or something. I don't mean to do that. I think I just kind of lost my flow. But you know what I'm saying, right? Keep on trusting. Don't stop believing in Christ. Paul knows that they would be tempted to do so, that they'd be tempted to say, okay, yeah, I'm not going to believe that anymore. It's just too difficult. He's saying, stand firm on it. Don't waver. He knows we follow Christ by faith. Paul knows that. We can't see Christ, right? Paul even said in this letter that the, the message of the cross is foolishness to those who haven't placed their faith in Christ. There will be people coming and saying to you, what? Christ died for your sins? What? He's the perfect sacrifice? He's the culmination? He's this fulfillment of the law? What? They'll have a tendency to have you cast doubt on what it is that you say you believe, but don't lose it. Stand firm in it. Stand firm in the faith. And it will be difficult. And Paul knew that, which is why the third thing he said to them is to be courageous. It's difficult to stand firm in our faith, especially if somebody's saying it's foolish. Well, I mean, it's not like super foolish. Like, it's not that dumb, right? No, be courageous. Be bold. Yes, this is what Christ did for the world. This is what Christ did for me. This is what Christ did for you. Christ made it possible that we could be forgiven and reconciled to God. Christ made it possible for us to walk in relationship with God. Be courageous. And the next thing Paul said was, be strong. What does that mean? It means be courageous over and over and over again. Just like working a muscle over and over and over again would build strength, so too would be being courageous. Be courageous once as you stand firm in your faith. Be courageous again and again and again, and you will find yourself growing in your faith and becoming stronger and stronger. And then in that strength, Paul's final admonition in this, in this passage is, do everything in love. Now, what he doesn't say, but what is implied is our actions, what we do in our everyday, should be done in love for God because of what he's done for us. In love for others as he calls us to love others, to seek out the betterment of others, to lay down our lives for others. To love, as Paul said in this letter as well, to not keep a record of wrongs, right? 1 Corinthians 13. Many of us, I'm sure, could quote it. Many of us have heard it read in weddings. Love like what? Don't delight in evil. Rejoice in truth. Be patient. Be kind. Don't be self-seeking. Don't be easily angered. Do everything in love. And when you see it in practice, man... Man, does it call your mind, man, does it call your eyes and your focus upwards because no one can love like that. I remember seeing an example of this years ago. I had been looking forward to some time away. I am not a, the good example in the story, just FYI, just a little spoiler alert right there. I was really kind of intent on loving myself, and doing great things for me. And later on was blessed as I saw somebody else loving the way Christ did. But let me just tell you this. Let me tell you the story. I was looking forward to some time away. It was the winter of 1992. Kenny and Danny were three. Greta was two. 
and I was nearly eight months pregnant with Timothy. Kenny and Danny, right? Three, Greta, two, just picture it, right? And eight months pregnant with Timothy. I was exhausted. I was teaching piano lessons on the side. I was involved in the music ministry at our church and the youth ministry in our church. And it's not that I didn't love hanging out with all these like little people, but I was just so ready not to. Kenny and I were in the middle stages in our preparation to make a move from where we were living in Illinois to Wilmer, Minnesota. We were super excited about the move, but with my sister Mari and her husband Paul and their four-year-old daughter Hannah living only about like 20 minutes from us in Lake Forest and attending the same church as we were, we knew we were going to really miss our regular hangout times with them. And so, together with them, we planned an overnight getaway. I couldn't wait. We were going to leave on a Friday and return on a Saturday afternoon, but to me, it felt like I was getting ready for like a week's vacation. I was so excited. Kenny and I had arranged for a sitter to come to the house to watch our kids. I was thrilled. I wasn't going to have to pack all their little bags of diapers and wipes and clothes and blankets and special blankies and special animals and special pillows and pacifiers and PJs and all the stuff you have to remember for an overnight for three little people. All I had to do was make sure things were clean and ready to go. And they were. So... Packing for me, simple, compared to all those little munchkins. Plus, I didn't even need to choose an outfit. Good news, right? We were going to go out to eat, but I only had one fancy outlet left that fit me. Being as pregnant as I was, it was like this flowy navy blue pants with this fancy flowy navy blue blouse. And I'd wear these like, nylon shoes, call it a day. Our destination was Milwaukee. It was only about an hour from our house, so perfect. We drove through it all the time when we went back to Minnesota to visit family or when we'd drive back to Illinois from said visit, we'd drive through Milwaukee again. The bridges are beautiful. You go over the bridges, you see this view of the lake, the stadium and the old buildings mixed with the new and there's church spires everywhere and clock towers. It's just such an inviting and iconic skyline. I just love it. My sister and I had visited Milwaukee a couple times as kids, but we hadn't spent a ton of time there since. In fact, I'm just not sure, like, if ever. And with Valentine's Day landing on a Friday that year and our upcoming move, we thought, oh, this will be a perfect time for a return visit. And we knew for sure where we would go for dinner. As kids, we had gone to the German restaurant Mater's with our family, our uncles and aunts and my grandma. We went a couple times, I think. I remember... They had tiny little kids' toys that they would hand out to kind of keep kids quiet because it was a nice restaurant. This is like pre-Happy Meal days. So this is quite exciting. I remember getting the tiniest little plastic pink hairbrush with the tiniest little pink plastic mirror, which right now is kind of a weird choice for toys for dinner. But anyway, I loved them. Meters is lovely. The formal dining area is beautiful. Dark wood and white tablecloths and the food is unbelievable. Because I was curious, as I was talking about this, I did what I often do. I started doing a little bit of research on Mater's to see if I was like blowing this out of proportion in my mind and actually Googled some pictures and saw down to the water glass, it had not changed. Mater's was founded in 1902 when the majority of Milwaukee's population was German immigrants and their beverage of choice was beer. But then 
came prohibition. And they, at that point, were forced to either close down, shut down, or reinvent themselves. Celia Mater, the wife of the man who had started, started Mater's, decided she was going to reinvent themselves. She started focusing on creating familiar German dishes like Sauerbraten and Wiener Schnitzel and pork shank. The new business, obviously, the new business plan was a hit, succeeded. It endures to this present time. If you visit the restaurant today, you can find like old photographs on the walls showing highlights from those years. Really fascinating. And also, I read, found out this, in 1965, the Milwaukee Public Museum created one of the first like walkthrough, life-size dioramas in the world, and they called it the Streets of Old Milwaukee. It showed what the city would have looked like during the turn of the century. And apparently there's a full-scale replica of Charles Mater's original storefront as a main focal point of this exhibition, which I haven't seen. But I am planning on going next time I'm in Milwaukee. I was like fascinated reading about it. Fast forward to now, though. Mater's restaurant still family-owned, operated, just a real gem in the city. <laughs> that is why all the history, all the good food, all the memories... Mari and I chose Mater's for Valentine's night. Our sitter, Sandy, arrived at our house right on time. Kenny and I said our goodbyes and then started driving north, getting the heck out of Dodge, as it were. We checked into our hotel, I can't remember where we stayed, and we got ready for dinner. Except, oh, I forgot to pack my nylons, which wasn't a big deal, but it was cold and I didn't really feel quite put together without them, and Seeing as I only had one outfit anyways, I knew I'd be needing them again sometime. I couldn't figure out how I could have lost them. But long and short of it is, Kenny definitely got up, left, went to the local Walgreens to buy me something else. When he returned, I got ready. We met my sister and her husband at Mater's for dinner. I can't remember exactly what I ordered, but... Honestly, I would be shocked if it wasn't sauerbraten with a side of German potato salad because that's what I always order, it seems like, at a German restaurant. I just don't want to say I ordered it if I didn't know for sure, but honestly, I couldn't even imagine if I'd ordered anything different than that. I love that kind of sweet and sour sauerbraten. Oof, um, I'm super distracted right now. Also, Kenny, I would have been equally shocked if he ordered anything but Wiener Schnitzel with a side of Spritzel. That's, that, that is his go-to for sure. So I'm guessing that's what we had. And we enjoyed this night. We eating and talking and laughing. We laughed so hard <laughs> because there was a danger lurking on our tables the whole entire evening that none of us apparently took as seriously as we ought. We had been warned, but we had ignored the warning. When our waitress came to take the order, she gave us our water, she gave us our bread, and she took our order and she said, I just want you guys to be real careful of the waters because sometimes these water glasses can get really slippery when wet. And then she left. We were like, what? What does that even mean? Slippery when wet? When would a water glass not be wet? Does she warn everybody about this? Is she just warning us? Why would she warn us about the water glasses? What does she think we are, like five we made jokes, we made fun, we kept warning each other, ooh, careful, you're about to take a drink, I see, watch it, watch out. And then it happened. My, si my sister picked up her glass and it slipped out of her hand, it 
crashed on the table and poured all over the tablecloth. They had to come and redo our tablecloth. Give us a brand new one. Went down the tablecloth and I was sitting next to her and it went off to the side, kind of slid down the tablecloth like a slide and onto my lap. The waitress came over and reminded us that she had warned us and she let us know that this was pretty much not her fault and yet there she was cleaning up after us. The whole thing seemed so bizarre to me, almost to the point where you started looking around for hidden cameras. Like, seriously, is she really telling other people that these are slippery? And should we not be hearing crashes everywhere? And then I'm thinking, buy different glasses already. We were laughing louder than our waitress liked. Definitely. Definitely louder than some of the couples, actually really all of the couples who were there celebrating a quiet Valentine's Day liked. Quite frankly, we were laughing louder than we even liked, but we couldn't stop. I took a napkin. I was trying to dry myself off. And I'm like, oh my goodness, this is like my one outfit I have to wear. And then I had a little serendipitous moment. I stood up because I had to have the water continue to fall off of me. And I started wiping myself off to try to dry myself. And all of a sudden I was like, oh my goodness, my nylons. My original pair that I thought I had lost dropped right out of the leg of my flowy pants. I was like, oh, I was so excited to find them. I held them up to show my sister. I'm like, look, I found my tights. And then that seemed funny suddenly, funny and also a little inappropriate with how loud I yelled it. So we just started laughing louder and louder and louder. And we ordered dessert with coffee just to be on the safe side. We finished dinner We went to our room to play a game for a bit, and then they left. I told Kenny, oh, I think I left myself sick. Because as soon as they left, I ran to the bathroom and threw up. And so began the evening. First me, then Kenny, then him again, and then me. It was miserable. I was miserable. We were miserable. Honestly, I cannot think of a night that was worse with being sick than that that night right then, before or since. It was horrid. We had agreed when my sister left that we were going to connect with each other the next morning about 10 for brunch and kind of let ourselves all sleep in since none of us could with our kids. But by the time 7.38 rolled around, I was thinking, I must have food poisoning or something. And for some reason, I thought, I need this confirmed. And so for some reason, I called my sister to see if they had had as horrible of a night as we did. She did not care. She did not. She said, why are you calling me? You woke me up. And what difference does it make if we're throwing up too? Why is that something you need to know right now? She made a lot of really good points when she asked those really good questions. And I affirmed that as I closed out our conversation with, But, okay, yep, I hear you. But just out of curiosity then, are you guys sick? She's like, no. I called the sitter to see if she would care if we got kind of a later checkout and didn't travel until we started feeling a little bit better. But the sitter didn't answer the phone. Instead, my friend Cindy did. Apparently, our kids had all gotten sick while we were gone, and Sandy tried her best. But dealing with sick kids wasn't her strong suit. So she called my friend, whose name I left as an emergency contact. So my friend Cindy, who had three kids of her own at her own house, ended up leaving them and her husband and ended up spending Valentine's Day 
at our house with our three kids who had had the worst stomach flu ever. They had it bad. She showed up, she stripped beds and she stripped babies and she did laundry like a boss and bathed kids, giving them comfort and care. And after all, I heard all that she had done, I thought, hmm, seems like your day's ruined already and you got it covered over there. So if we did stay a little longer, that might not be too bad. I thought that. But I said, I am so sorry. That is the worst. We are super sick too. In fact, we wondered if it was food poisoning, but I guess it isn't. I toyed then with calling my sister to tell her, don't worry about being sick. But then I had a moment of clarity and I did not. I told my friend, Cindy, we would be leaving shortly. And she said, don't worry about it. Take your time. You must not be feeling real well. She said, just come when you can. I said, we will bring our sick selves to our sick house with our sick kids. And you can be relieved as soon as we can get there. I told her I'd pray she wouldn't get sick. She reiterated, no, really, take your time. As far as I know, she didn't ever get sick, but I could be wrong. She probably, if she did, didn't tell me because she wanted me to feel bad. I actually kind of want to think if she remembers this fiasco of a weekend that she doesn't feel sick just thinking about it. Or if she does remember, I want her to forget that it was me, my kids, who played this integral role in this horrible day. But here's what I did remember. Here's what I remember for sure that day. This little phrase about do everything in love This was written to the church about the church. Paul was warning the church about the church, but he was also encouraging the church for the church. Do what you do for one another in love. Cindy that day showed me such an act of grace, loved with such humility in such a hands-on and practical way that there was no way I could say that was just her. That was God himself through my friend loving me. In fact, later, we were moving, we were getting ready to move, and we were cleaning out our fridge, and she had been watching our all four kids by then, all four kids at that time, including a brand new baby. She'd been watching our four kids with her three kids. We were down at our house cleaning. I was cleaning out my fridge. Her husband was helping us clean. I keep saying cleaning out my fridge because I want to go back and say this one thing, that when our fridge was getting cleaned, somebody pulled out one of the produce drawers that I never could get to pull out all the way. So he pulled it out, and her husband, Cindy's husband, Todd, was there with a knife trying to scrape out all the crud that had gotten under there. Oh, my goodness. It was just one of those things. When it was time for us to go, we drove up in the moving truck, went to pick up all of our kids at Cindy's house, and you know what we found? You know what she gave us? A bunch of cookies she had made while she was watching my kids for us to take with us in the move. She was laying down her life. She was loving us in such practical ways. And as I thought about that day, as I thought about her later on, I thought, you know, when I read this phrase, do everything in love, I don't just see this platitude, this thing that can be scrawled beautifully with just the right marker in the margin of a Bible. I don't just see that. I see do everything in love And I see my friend Cindy, who taught me how to do that that day and the next day and many other days since. And that's the way we, church, are to love each other in the middle of our mess when we least expect it, when we are called on to love one another in word and in deed. 
That's the way we show that we love God, by loving each other. Let's do that better. Let's do that well. Let's not just look out for our own interests, like I need a break and I need to get away, which there's nothing wrong with that. But let's not just look after our own interests, but let's look out for the interests of others. Showing love to one another, showing deference to one another, offering forgiveness, offering practical help, offering care. And as we do that, church, as we be on our guard, as we stand firm in our faith, as we act courageous, as we continue to be strong, as we do everything in love, I am convinced that we will build up the good news of the gospel and others will look and see what is the deal Man, those people love. They love each other well, and they love me. And what a testimony that will be to the one who is love. Lord, help us to love one another well. Bring someone across each path today, each person listening. Bring one person at least across our path that we can show practical love to and point to you as we do so. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen.